Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Well, today it is a great joy. Speaking of next, um, I love rubbing shoulders, connecting with individuals who have vision, passion, and desire. And a uh, number of years ago, I've heard of Chris Raley, heard him share at different uh, events throughout the Assemblies of God, and, and uh, specifically with Influence, uh, which is a ministry that's geared to developing leaders within the Assembly of God movement. Um, but uh, a couple months ago, I had a chance then to just have one-on-one conversation, sit down to uh, a group of pastors having dinner. And, and, uh, but more importantly, I, hear, I heard Chris share from his heart And uh, you know that someone's got something inside of them when what they're speaking isn't because they planned it for a session or planned it for a sermon. They're just having natural conversation. And when their natural conversation excites something inside of you, how many know that person's got something on the inside of them? And when I heard him just in conversation, just sharing, not during a session, but actually after a session, and, man, I just loved what was in his heart. And uh, I drew a little closer. I said, uh, man, whether you like it or not, I want to hang around you. You don't know me, but that's all right. I, I want to I hang around people who are sharpening, uh, sharpening axes and connecting with other people. Chris serves in our national office in the Assemblies of God in Springfield, Missouri. He's a part of a national team in the Assemblies of God. Specifically, he oversees church multiplication and church development. And so uh, God has put it on his heart, but he has been positioned to lead our movement, the Assemblies of God uh, here in America, uh, towards developing churches. It's put on his heart and the team that he leads to see 10,000 new churches planted in America, to see every community in America with a healthy church, with a healthy representation of the gospel and uh, the uh, work of the Holy Spirit. And so it is a great honor and uh, joy to have Chris Raley, uh, the director of the CMN Church Multiplication Network here in the Assemblies of God. Would you please welcome Chris as he comes to share the word with us this morning. Good morning, church. Let me tell you something, the power of the gospel alive in the local church is still the hope of the world, amen? That's why our passion is to see churches like this. Aren't you excited to be a part of a church that's alive and on the move? That's what this place is, and we're believing for more churches just like this all over America. So thank you for that introduction, a little bit about what I'm passionate about, what we're doing uh, to see the multiplication of healthy churches like this one. And it's why it's an honor to be here. I love being uh, in churches like this one that have greater visions for the future than memories of their past. And, and that's what we need is churches that see ahead to what God wants them to do. I love seeing that video. It represents opportunity. It represents hope for what God's going to do in your future. And it's just exciting. And, and uh, it's, it's rare to be a part of something like this that's having the impact that this church, Faith Assembly, is having. So it's a true honor. Pastor Jason, uh, thank you so much for your friendship. You have a great pastor. Wouldn't you agree? You're blessed with great leadership here, Pastor Jason and Jody. And uh, just thank you for your friendship, your leadership, and the opportunity to, to be here today. It's a privilege. Uh, Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, or uh, you can look up on the screens in just a moment. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. So we continue this series, um, Red Carpet, right? 
rolling out the red carpet, talking about what Jesus did uh, to make a way for us. And Romans chapter 8, and as you find your place, just kind of put your finger there for a moment, and let me introduce you to my family. Uh, I think we've got a picture on the screens. It gives me a little bit more street cred when you can see who I'm associated with, all right? Uh, So there's my beautiful wife, Kara, 19 years of marriage this summer. Isn't that incredible? I know people think we got married when we were 11. No, we just look young, and uh, that's, that's a blessing. I'll take that. And then my three little boys, Cooper on the left is uh, nine years old, Caleb in the middle is 11, and Cannon is my 13-year-old. And there's no greater joy in my life right now than being a father to those three boys. It's amazing to see what God is doing in them already. My oldest son, Cannon, uh, felt called to be a pastor two years ago. Now, part of that probably is. He's grown up in my home. He watches what his dad does, and he's a little more sensitive. He's a little more in tune that God may want to do that in his life. Now he's 13. Who knows what he's going to go on and do? But you better believe I'm going to nurture that calling as long as he's in my roof. And so we set up, we orchestrate opportunities for him to be in the presence of God and for that calling to be developed and for his character and identity uh, to be developed. And last summer, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the evidence of speaking in tongues. And this kid is on fire for Jesus. And then last uh, fall, my little eight-year-old got to baptize him in water. And it was, it was this profound moment as uh, I think I baptized the other ones too young. Like, I don't know that they got it, you know. But Cooper, man, Cooper, uh, I'm, I'm in the tank with him. There's a whole line of people waiting to get baptized. But you know what? I'm in the tank right now. I'm going to take my time. So I'm with my son, and I'm just speaking life over him in that baptismal tank. And I'm watching his uh, tears begin to develop in his little eyes as he understands the identity shift that's happened in him. And so being a father, watching what God wants to do in my son's, is, uh, is, is one of the great joys of my life. So I wanted to introduce you to my family and uh, get you uh, a little picture of what I've got back home, but it's good to be with you today. All right, Romans chapter 8. Uh, one of the most powerful chapters in all the Bible, if you ask me. It's where Paul teaches us about what life in the Spirit is and how we can overcome a battle we all face. Every single one of us in this room, no one's exempt from this battle. It's the battle against our own flesh. We all know what that battle's like, right? And we all fight it daily. Uh, But in in the uh, chapters of 5 through 8, if you're kind of familiar with this little portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul takes us on this journey. and, And he starts with, you know what? Before Christ, we were slaves to sin. Sin's a bad master, and we were slaves to sin. We had no control. We couldn't get out of that situation. Sin was beating us up and oppressing us. But you know what? God sent his son Jesus. You talked about it last week at Easter. He rolled out the red carpet to make a way for us to move us from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. Much better master, slave to righteousness, right? But he doesn't leave us there. Paul describes he takes us from slaves to righteousness to a son. Lots of, we're moving on up now to the east side, right? Deluxe apartment in the sky. So we're moving up from slave to sin to slave to righteousness to son, but not just any son, a firstborn heir with an inheritance. Front of the line, firstborn son, the inheritance is ours. And so Paul takes us on this journey of, of our identity shifting from who we were to who we are. In the Old Testament, uh, you would read about the story from uh, uh, 
captivity in Egypt to the promised land. That was a geographical illustration of what now is a spiritual transformation from old to new. It's powerful, powerful journey that Paul takes us on here. But here's the deal. Even though we are justified by faith, our sins are forgiven, we're a firstborn son, we're an heir to an inheritance, we still deal with the battle against our flesh. It'll, it'll come to an end one day. There is a finish line, praise God, when we'll be in heaven with our Savior and we won't fight this battle anymore. But until that time, we still daily wake up and have to fight our flesh. We have to fight this battle of our flesh. And, and uh, it's a battle that for some of us, sometimes it can feel like we're not winning it. It can feel like we're losing the battle a little bit. For example, uh, listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it real quick. But in Galatians 5, Paul's contrasting the sins of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. He said, Don't, let's not have a part in the sins of the flesh. Let's, let's have the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. So here's what he says in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So how's your fruit this morning? Uh, there are days I go 0 for 9, I think, uh, in that fruit. Some of you probably violated all nine of those on the drive to church this morning. You know, <laughs> kids wouldn't get up, nagging, you know, all this kind of stuff going on in the home and, and the drivers on the way to church. And you violated all nine of those. It's because the battle against the flesh is real. And for most of us, we look at those nine fruits of the Spirit and we can say, man, in, in those categories, I've got some work to do. I don't know if there's, if there's a whole lot of good fruit coming off my tree right now. I mean, I know who I am, but my fruit isn't where I'd like it to be. The battle of the flesh is real. But it's not just, it's not just because we're tempted to think about the big sins, you, you know, the ones that are easy to see. But here's where most of us live. Is we struggle, the battle of the flesh is, is a struggle that a lot of times people can't see all that easily. Especially the people in this room, right? It's attitudes. It's thoughts. It's apathy that sometimes creeps into our spiritual life that's not from God. Uh, it's, it's how the, the, the selfish nature can come into our marriage, in our relationships, in our work environments. And we begin to resent where we work. It's not a gift from God anymore. It's not, a, it's not a mission field. It's not the place we've been positioned for impact. We say, I don't like my boss, and I don't like my pay. And all this self-centeredness creeps into our life, and that's not from God. That doesn't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the battle of the flesh that we fight. So we come to Romans chapter 8. It's a battle that Paul was so familiar with. And I love Paul's transparency in these chapters as he talks about, man, uh, I struggle with this. And if the Apostle Paul struggles with it, there's a good chance we will too. So here's what he writes in Romans chapter 8, talking about uh, not just high-fiving the power of the Spirit, which can be so easy to do, the visible stuff, the power of the Spirit, but talking about how we need the fruit of the Spirit that comes from walking daily in the Spirit. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, Paul's not always the clearest to understand, but that one's pretty clear. Okay? You, you serve your flesh, you will die. All right, all right, I'm listening. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, get this, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Title of my message today, if I was going to title it, would be Sons and Daughters. And this concept of adoption, the, the, receiving the spirit of adoption, is a main idea that God wants to give us today. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Many names of God in Scripture. This is one of the most intimate, personal names of God that we see. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, think about that. I mean, we skip over that. Fellow heirs with Christ. Like we share the same inheritance, the same benefit, the same reward as Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's good. I just had to stop there. That's good news. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, Father, we pause at the reading of your word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth of this word into our lives and make applications to us today that will change how we live, how we think, how we move, what we do. Let this not be business as usual church. It should never be that, God. Your word is living. Your, your spirit is active. And so I pray that we would recognize that we're in your presence today. And in the next few moments, you want to speak truth to us because you know intimately what we're going through. Every person in this room carries burdens, baggage, issues, struggles that are very real. So help us to be honest about those, Lord, to bring those to you and allow you to speak to those places in our lives that we would be transformed and more useful uh, for you in your kingdom. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the game changer in this passage, the, the thing that we have to see, is that we have been given the spirit of adoption. That we are now sons and daughters of God, that we belong to a new family, we have a new identity, and we've been given a new name. Spirit of adoption, our identity has changed. Everything's new. Adoption, the definition of it, is leaving your natural family and coming into the uh, blessings, the benefits, um, the responsibilities of a new family. It's a legal term. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But it's a powerful concept that Paul is unpacking for us here that represents this new identity, the shift that's happening. I'm so grateful that adoption is a part of my story. Uh, see, my parents, when they were a young married couple, pastoring a church in Alabama, they felt impressed by God to adopt a baby boy from Highlands Adoption Agency in Kansas City, Missouri. I was an orphan. I was somebody's mistake. I was a, an unwanted pregnancy. I was an uh-oh for somebody, right? But aren't you glad that mistakes can be redeemed? 
Aren't you glad that's the God that we serve, that what the enemy means for harm in our lives, God can turn around and use for good? So the enemy never wanted me to be here. The, the, the devil never wanted me to come into this world, much less, much less have a security and hope and identity and, and, and parents that loved me and could raise me in the way that God wanted me to be. But God in his sovereignty took what was a, a mistake, an orphan, and he placed me in a godly home. And he gave me uh, parents, Jim and Linda Rayleigh. And if you knew my parents, you would know. They are two of the most godly people in the world. Growing up in that home, my dad taught me the power of God's word. He taught me to build my life on the foundation of the word of God. God's word wasn't a coffee table decoration in our home. It was the guide and the foundation. It was a guide for our lives, the foundation of our lives. My father um, pastored in his early career, but has taught theology uh, pretty much his whole life. And so I've learned an appreciation for the word of God by looking at my father. My mom. My mom's one of the most genuine women of God you'd ever want to meet. And um, she taught me what prayer sounds like. Now what you need to understand is my mom's from L.A. That's uh, lower Alabama, Okay. And let me just tell you, women, women in L.A., lower Alabama, they pray different. Prayer has a different kind of sound, all right? They don't just play good football down there. Uh, they know how to pray. It's a full-contact sport. And there would be days as a little boy in my home, I'd walk by my mom's room, the door would be shut, and I'd hear all kinds of racket coming out of there. I'd hear wailing and crying, and, and I would think, well, is she okay? I mean, she sounds like she's dying in there. And then it would trigger, oh, that's just mama praying. That's just how, that's just how you pray. You pray loud. You pray intense. You pray in the spirit. You call out on God. Uh, uh, now, no, no, like, uh, bless this food to my body, amen. No, I lay my head down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. None of those wimpy kind of prayers. I'm talking like praying, seeking God. And don't you think that God is good when he takes a, a young man who he knows he's going to position and call to be a preacher of the gospel? See, the world saw an orphan. The world saw an unwanted pregnancy. The world saw a sad story, right? Here's what God saw before I was even born. God saw this moment. God saw an evangelist, a preacher, a leader. God knew where he was going to take me. So isn't God good that he would place me in the home of a theology professor that taught me to love his word? Isn't it good that he placed me in the home of this uh, obnoxious southern woman who taught me that prayer sounds different, right? That we seek God with everything that we have. That God is good that he would position me in that kind of way. That he would raise me up in that kind of place. Because he knew who he wanted me to be and what he wanted me to do. Some of you look back at where you came from and you despise it. Some of you look back at your family, your experiences, what, what God has done, the ups and the downs, the pains and the places, and you think that was a place to get away from. When, when in the truth, reality is, God wanted to use all of those experiences because he knew exactly who he wanted you to be. He knew exactly what he was going to have you to do. And all of those experiences, good, bad, and otherwise, are shaping you into someone he can use for your, his glory. That's what God does because he's a good father. He's a good father. So adoption, now I may not look like my parents physically, but I carry their spiritual DNA in me. My parents, um, they pick me up, you know, when I fall. They love me when I'm hard to love. And some of you parents, you know what that's about. Loving your children when they're hard to love. 
they opened doors for me I could never have opened on my own. There's benefits, you know, to being their son. There's benefits that come with their name. They've opened doors I couldn't have opened on my own. They've given generously of their resources because that's what parents do, right? They've uh, cheered me on when I've won. They've uh, corrected me when I needed correcting. They've given me uh, a life I could have never had and a love I could have never known. I can safely say that they have saved my life. Adoption is a powerful thing. And we see throughout Scripture, Paul is actually borrowing on this imagery of, of father and sons. Spiritual fathers, God is our father, to sons and daughters. It's a theme throughout Scripture. Let me just show you an example. Exodus chapter 4, going way back. Verse 22 says, it's God talking to Moses. He says, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. God referring to his people as as, a son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, Pharaoh. So now I will kill your firstborn son. We see God defends us. He's our father. You know, fathers, you know. Uh, you can say stuff. You can, you can threaten stuff. You come against my kids and my wife. You come against my family. You're going to have a fight on your hands. Isn't it good to know we have a God that fights for us, that defends us, that says nothing's going to get in the way of what I want my kids to experience? God defends us. Then it says in Deuteronomy 32.10, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him. In a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. God is our father. He cares for us. Hosea 11 verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. God is our father. He loves us. But he also knows our propensity as children to be disobedient, to go our own way, to not listen to the advice and the instruction of our father. So he pursues us. And the story of scripture beginning to end is really a red carpet story. Is the lengths that God is willing to go to pursue his people, to bring his sons and daughters back home close to him. This is the the imagery of God's word. He is our father. We are his children, sons and daughters of God. And Paul then, in the New Testament, as he's writing to the church, picks up on this theme as he describes the process of salvation and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And his readers would have understood this legal term adoption that Paul uses. And adoption is a legal term in first century Roman culture. It wasn't that different from now in terms of how adoption was a very rigorous and serious process. There was in this culture a symbolic selling and buying back of the child by the birth parents two times. On the third time, it would become permanent and final. And they went through this ritualistic process. I mean, imagine what that would have been like, selling and buying back two separate occasions, and on the third time, it becomes final. And they made it this ritualistic process to demonstrate the shift in identity that is happening from one to the other. Adoption is a rigorous process now, but we've 
taken the spirituality out of it. Here, it was, a, it was an intense process that represented an identity shift. Leaving the old family to come into the benefits, the rights, and the responsibility of a new family. New name. New identity. New family. Adoption meant losing all identification with the old family and assuming all the rights of the new family. I hope you're going on this journey with me. I hope you're beginning to put the pieces together of what that means for you and me. It meant old debts were wiped away and a new inheritance awaited. The adopted was now the legal son of the new father. This is what Paul is borrowing when he uses the word adoption. He's saying you have been legally justified, positioned in such a way that you are now a part of a new family. You used to be a slave to sin. You had no hope and you had no power, but you have been adopted, grafted in to this new family with all the rights and the benefits that come with it and all the benefits of your family name. Family name. The name of our father. One of the most powerful concepts in all of scripture is that through faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God. We have a new family, a new name, and a good father. We were orphans, now we're sons and daughters. We were slaves, but now we're free. We had no hope, but now we have an inheritance and a hope of heaven waiting for us. We've been claimed purchased, adopted by God, and there's nothing our Father won't do for us. Isn't that good news? So here's the, here's the issue for today, though. Because that's legally who we are. We are a son of God. But just because that's who we are legally doesn't mean that's how we act behaviorally. We can legally be a son of God, but we can act like an orphan. We can walk out of step with our Father and His instructions, His Word, His expectations for us. And so Paul is writing here to remind them of who they are, but then also to help them to walk out and live like a son, not an orphan, and to win the battle against the flesh. So hopefully all of our ears perk up to win this battle against the flesh. Let me give you four things quickly that Paul says for us here to do to win the battle against the flesh. The first thing is this. You may want to write it down. Pray like something's on the line. Pray like something's on the line. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between just saying words and praying from a deep place in your heart like, like something hangs in the balance of what you're praying. We've been given this spirit of adoption, access to and intimacy with our Father so we can cry out, Abba, Father, this very personal, intimate name of God that that Paul says we cry out, Abba, Father, like he's our, our Father. And as we pray, Paul says, the Spirit of God inside of us bears witness that we belong to him. So like very literally as we pray, the Spirit is reminding us who we are because we forget. We, we live this way, even though we're legally this, we live this way. We, as we pray, the, the Holy Spirit inside of us is constantly reminding us and encouraging us. You belong to God. He 
is your father. You're a son or a daughter loved by your father, and he hears your cries and responds to them. So when we pray, that's what's going on in the spiritual. When my wife and I were a young married couple, um, we wanted the joy of our life or the hope that we had. We, you know, we wanted to have kids. We want to have a family, like every couple. And um, we struggled to have kids of our own. We went through four miscarriages in the period of about uh, 14 months or so. It was a very painful process. At that time in our lives, it was the most difficult, faith-testing thing we'd ever been through. It's hard to watch my wife go through what that does physically uh, to a person, uh, to her body. And, and it was just devastating for us. Um, we felt like we had done everything the right way, but, but we're going through this painful thing. And, and uh, I handled it like most men do. Uh, you know, you, you just grit your teeth and, and uh, go about your business. You internalize everything, right? Um, that's how men typically handle things. My wife, it was a much more uh, painful thing daily for her um, and probably a more challenging thing for her faith uh, than it even was for mine because I handled it and I, I just I put it in a box and put it away. And my wife was living this reality in her body and in her spirit every single day. And she tells the story about that time in our lives. And she says, it was so painful and I felt so hurt by God. We've been there, right? Like, I'm telling this story, but you could all tell your own story of hurt and disappointment, of how you thought life would go, and it didn't. And then who do you blame? God, you could have stopped that. You could have fixed that. You could have, why did you allow that? So this is the thing that we go through, right? And so Kara tells about how she would wake up every day, find a quiet place, and she says her prayer life was nothing. She couldn't. She, she would say literally every day for about a year, um, she would say, God, I know you're real. I just don't want to talk to you today. Sit quietly for a few minutes and then go about her day. Come back. This is too painful. Come back another day. And she would, she would do this every day. God, I know. I believe that you're real. I just don't have anything to say to you today. Sit quietly for a little bit and go about her day. Every day just like that. Just trying to deal with this pain. Knowing he's real but not wanting to talk to him because the pain is too much. But in not talking to him, you know, she was kind of still talking to him. Then one day, after about a year of this, she says, she, um, she said, God, I know you're real. So why did you let this happen to me? And she began to pour out her pain. And she began to cry out to God, first from a place of bitterness, but she was still positioning herself before the Lord and talking to him, even though it was honest and raw and painful. And then that bitterness, God did a healing work on it. And God began, as she showed up every day, God, I know you're real, so help me deal with this pain and help me understand what you want me to do with this and help me to understand how to not to live in this kind of bitterness. God, please don't let my heart get hard. This is after a year, barely saying any words. And it became an intense prayer, like something was on the line. And what was first on the line was not whether we would have kids or not. What was first on the line was her own heart and her own soul. God, before I want to be a mom, I want to be a good daughter. So help me, God. And she just prayed like something was on the line. And God did a work in her. Of course, God did a miracle. We have three beautiful boys but at that point in our lives, that was not guaranteed. You know, we learn as parents to hear the cries of our children, don't we? And if you have multiple kids, you know, 
you've been through this. First child, every little whimper, you're, you're coming around that corner like with panic in your heart to make sure they're okay. I mean, you're like just any little sound and you're just, are you okay, are you okay, are you okay? Second child, you know better. Second child, you've learned, okay, these little boogers uh, know how to manipulate me. And, and these cries are different, cry, different cries. You learn to distinguish. Uh, third child, there better be stories of blood before you move. My wife now, she's a baseball mom, all her boys, throw some dirt on it, you'll be fine, you know. Uh, if it ain't broke, I ain't moving, you know, is that kind of thing. You learn the different cries of your children, and God knows our cries as his children. And he knows how to respond to each cry and each need. Paul says in this passage, in verse 26, that when we pray in the Spirit, God intercedes on our behalf even when we don't know what to pray, he does. When Kara was barely able to say two words to God, she was positioning herself in a way where the Spirit inside of her was able to testify on her behalf who she was and pray to God on her behalf. The Spirit of God intercedes, and as we learn to pray in the Spirit, we pray according to His will, even though we don't know what we're praying. That's, that's what it means to pray like something's on the line. So today, if you've come in here dealing with difficulty, can I encourage you? Pray. If you've come in here with the decision to make and you don't know what to do, can I tell you before you talk to your friend about it, talk to God about it. Pray. If you're in here and you've got some family situations, your marriage isn't what it want, you want it to be, instead of calling your mom and telling on your husband, pray, talk to God. Men, instead of telling your coworkers how your wife nagged, come on, pray, talk to God. God's going to deal with you before he's going to deal with them. Pray. Pray, talk to God. Pray like something's on the line. Pray like you're from Alabama and it's a full contact sport, okay? Seek God with everything you have. Paul says to overcome the battle and win the battle of the flesh, to live like a son, not an orphan, we gotta pray like something's on the line. Number two, prioritize your time because proximity matters. Long-distance relationships rarely work. It's true in life, and it's true with God. Prioritize your time. Proximity matters. I idolized my dad growing up. He liked watching baseball, so I liked watching baseball. He liked to read books, so I liked to read books. He would do this weird thing where he would mix mayonnaise and ketchup to make a sauce for his steak. And I would look at him as a little boy going, okay, well, I'll do the same thing. I'll mix a mayonnaise and ketchup and make you a sauce for my steak. Actually, on that one, I grew up and learned that that was gross, and I don't do that anymore. But most things I do, I learn from my dad. And it's amazing how my three boys, they look at my life, which is kind of scary as a parent, you know. They look at my life, they do what I do. They like what I like. They, at this age, their lives are being shaped by how they view their father. And it's true in our relationship with God that when we spend time, when we prioritize our time, and listen, one commodity that we have less and less of, it seems like, in the American culture today, is time. It's time, right? We have very little time, but we have to prioritize it. And when we do, when we make time to spend with God daily, study his word daily, enjoy Sabbath rest weekly, gather with like-minded believers, like what you've done today, we cannot give up the gathering of believers 
Church is important. This is the gathering together of the family of God. When we do these things, when we prioritize them in our lives, we become imitators of our Father and are better positioned to win the battle against the flesh. What this will take, this is very practical. What this will require you to do is to actually sit down and look at how you're spending your time. If you're frustrated, if you're struggling, if you're battling certain issues, maybe it's not the devil yet, you know? Maybe it's not a demon lurking around the corner. Maybe you haven't taken a day of Sabbath in years. Maybe you haven't read the word of God in days. We would never go that long without eating, but we go plenty of time without being in his word. Maybe your church attendance needs to move from once a month to every week. Who knows? But that putting yourself in a position to be close to your father won't change how you live and think and and act. Proximity to our father matters. Prioritize your time. Third, participate in his suffering so you can share in his glory. Paul's very clear about this. There is no prosperity gospel here in Romans chapter 8, okay? I hope you've never been sold the bill of goods that when you accept Christ in your life, it'll be rainbows and unicorns and daisies. And all your wildest dreams will come true. And you'll be able to afford that new truck, okay? That's, that's not what it is. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. The good news is he's overcome the world, right? So Paul says, very clearly, you have to participate in his sufferings. Pain and difficulty are common to us all. But when we're the weakest, our fruit should be the ripest. When we're facing the greatest difficulty, he should get the greatest glory. And many of us struggle with this because we become self-centered and we want to avoid the pain. So when we go through difficulty, it becomes all about us, not what God might want to do through us. Listen, when everything's going good, it's easy to follow. The, the power comes when things aren't going good in your life, when, it's, when all hell is breaking loose and you don't understand what's going on and then you still have the fruit of the Spirit ripe in your life. You position yourself for God to get the glory. You know what that does? It causes everybody around you to go, whoa, what's going on in them? How are they able to smile today? How are they able to have that kind of demeanor? I would be going out of my mind. Yeah, the rest of the world, no hope, nothing to anchor them. They lose it. We anchored in hope, knowing who our Father is, trusting not what we see, but the one who sees all things. We know what's going on, so the fruit of the Spirit is ripe in our life. And God is getting glory in our life. Don't be nearsighted. Understand, God, our Father, is up to something. So there's a participation There's a uh, willingness needed to endure and persevere as we follow Jesus with eyes on tomorrow and our hope in heaven. Aren't you glad this isn't the end? Man, if this was all there was, we should all be going crazy, mad, depressed, horrible. That's bad news, man. But this isn't all there is. Our, Our citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. Praise God for that. Finally, last thing, last thing. Place your trust completely in God. Oh, it's so simple. But this is the biggest struggle in my life. Can I tell you that? I'm a paid professional too. Can you believe it? I'm a, I'm a paid Christian. I, you know, But this is still a big struggle in my life. Trusting God completely. Easier said than done. But what Paul is trying to do with building the case 
for who we are is he's trying to encourage us that our faith would be lifted. He's saying, listen, you've been adopted by the Most High God. You're sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ with an inheritance. He, he is your protection, your provision, and your promotion. You don't have to seek it from other people. You don't have to elbow your way to the top. You don't have to make it all happen and strive. He is your protection. He is your promotion. He is your provision. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you today and the hope of heaven awaiting you tomorrow. And so we live every day then. Not as Christians, like, I go to church. Just trying to hang on to the end, man. Just trying to survive. Glad I'm saved, you know. One day, you know, but right now it was miserable. No, we don't want to survive. We want to thrive. There's nothing worse than a mopey Christian. That Paul's trying to wake his body up. He said, come on, he's saying. Don't you under- I know it's tough. I know Rome and they're persecuting us. You don't understand everything. But let me just tell you who you really are. You're a son and a daughter of God, and Rome has nothing to say about that. All right, I know you're going through persecution and you don't understand how it's all playing out, but God does know and he's setting it up. This setback is a setup for what God wants to do. So hang in there. Power of the Holy Spirit, hope of heaven, that we could live with passion and confidence. You want to change your community? What's this county called? Fayette County. You want to change Fayette County? Be a church that's passionate and confident and that will set you apart all by itself. Walk out of here, just chin up, chest out, happy, full of joy, knowing who you are, knowing who your father is. Paul's building this crescendo, and here's what he says in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some of you need to hear it. Come on, the struggle in your marriage, if God is for you, who can be against you? The difficulty at work, the wayward child, the financial issue, if God is for you, that stuff can't take you out. If God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, come on somebody, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If it's true, let's live it. For some of you, fear and trust issues are messing you up big time. They're robbing your joy. They're creating doubt. They're creating anxiety for you in every arena of your life. It's because you have trust issues. You don't know who to trust. You're legally a son. You're positionally a daughter. But you're living with an orphan mindset. An orphan doesn't have a father. So they have to get what they can grab. They have to do it all themselves. All alone. They think they can't trust anybody but themselves. Some of you come into church and sing the songs. But inside, you've got this orphan mindset. There's no peace, no contentment, all kinds of fear and trust issues going on in your life. You're a son, you're a daughter, but you're living like an orphan. It's messing you up. The opposite of that is to embrace God as your father. 
to understand you can't do it all yourself. You don't have the power to overcome sin, brokenness, to fix the problems in your life. It's a letting go and saying, God, I'm a child. I'm basically helpless without you. I am dependent on you. You are my, I embrace you as my father. I believe and know you are a good father. And so when that happens, when you embrace God as your father and you don't live with an orphan mindset anymore, it changes how you think. It changes how you live and act. Maybe more than anything, it changes how you view difficulty. Because no longer do you view difficulty as something that can take you out. No longer is failure final. But you understand, oh, I serve, I serve my God. He's my father. He sees all of this, beginning to end, side to side, front to back. Like, he knows every detail. I, I just have a little piece of it. I, I'm nearsighted. I get it. I'm nearsighted. You know when my eight-year-old comes to me and makes a request, do you know he has a limited perspective? He has no idea how much things cost. Well, I'll tell you that right now. He has no idea. He sees and thinks like an eight-year-old, right? That's how we are with God. And just as ridiculous as it is to think an eight-year-old knows how everything in life should be or how it all works or what's all going to happen. My eight-year-old, he's, he's like, where are we going right now? I have no concept of when school starts. I don't know what Monday from Friday is. I'm just like, in the car, where are we going? Tell me what's happening. That's how we are with God. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how to handle it. We are just so dependent as a little child before God. And when we embrace God as our Father and we place our trust completely in Him, you can say to the devil, back up. No, you, you don't get to say that to me. You can tell the critic those words are not who I am. You can tell your circumstances that will not define me. So when those things come at you, the enemy attacks you, circumstances Walls crashing in, people criticizing you. You say, do you know who my father is? I don't, think you, I don't think you understand who my father is. My father will go to any length to protect me. My father can fix any problem in my life. My father can, do you understand, enemy, who my father is? He is the creator of heaven and earth. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the all-sufficient Savior of the world. That's who my Father is. It changes everything. Friend, I came from Missouri to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know what identity issues or trust issues you've been dealing with, but God wanted to remind you, you are His child, His son his daughter. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he knows exactly what you need. You can trust him. I'm so glad I'm adopted. Earthly adoption has given me this beautiful picture of spiritual adoption. I was ashamed for so long, but now I say, you know what? What a beautiful window into the spiritual reality of, that we all share. We all have the same father, and he's good. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to give opportunity for you to respond. And I know in a room like this, there could be some people who don't have that relationship with God in that way that we've been talking about. You're still bound by your sin. You've not confessed it. You've not crossed the line over to faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been in and out of church, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about who your father is. We're talking about hope, eternity, forgiveness. If you're here today and you know 
the Holy Spirit, your heart's beating a little faster right now because God's been dealing with you today. If you need to get right with God, confess your sin once and for all and come into this family of faith. The adoption process can happen in an instant as you come into this family. I'm gonna give you a chance. If you want to receive Christ as your savior, know God as your father, just lift your hand and say, Pastor Chris, would you pray for me? I wanna get right with God. I wanna come into this family today. I know I need that. Just don't hesitate, lift your hand so I can see it. Yes, sir, God loves you so much. He set this up for you, hold it up so I can see it. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Praise God, he loves you so much. He saw this moment before you were born. Hallelujah. Who else would say, Pastor Chris, pray for me? I want to get my life. Yes, ma'am, I see you. God loves you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Hallelujah. All over this place. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And here's what I want you to know about this prayer. First of all, we're all going to pray it out loud. The several, about 10 people raised their hand to receive Christ as their Savior. God as their Father. But we're all going to pray this prayer out loud. And here's what I want you to know. The power is not in the words that we pray. The power is in our heart to believe that they're true. And if you believe what we're about to pray is true, you can know your sins are forgiven. You have been adopted into this family and you have a good father who loves you. So let's pray out loud together, church. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I ask you today to forgive my sin. I believe you are who you say you are the Son of God who came to earth, died on the cross for my sin, rose again on the third day, and is here to offer salvation to me today. So I receive it, God. I choose to live for you. Teach me to love you and serve you. In your name I pray, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise for new life? Our family just got bigger, hallelujah. Faith Assembly, I love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I believe God has big things for this family in the future. God bless.